Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Cinemas podcast. This week we are discussing Amarasanti's United Kingdom. I'm Sam Hallett and this week I'm joined by Jake Cunningham. Hello. And Harry Chapman. Hello. Uh, so United Kingdom tells the true story of Botswana and Prince Saretse Karma and London local Ruth Williams and their controversial interracial marriage. It's a true story that we all feel like we really should have known before we went into the film and that it's a historical event that should be more famous. So my opening question for you guys is, which historical event that hasn't been made into a film should be made into a film that more people should know about? Jake? Yep. Um, so we all know that there's a Jamie Vardy film coming out. Yeah. He's having a party. Exactly. Yeah. Jamie Vardy's having a party. So Jamie Vardy scored, has got the record for most number of consecutive goals scored in games in the Premier League brought Leicester to their title winning season but for me Jamie Vardy is not what made Leicester last year I think there are a lot of players that took part in that title winning scene so I want to see the Leicester City film because it's it's not just about Jamie Vardy's party is it you know there's the, there's Riyad Mahrez there's N'Golo Kante and I mean it's heartbreak like Kante he, he comes in he's the rock that holds the team together he's that binding agent and then at the end of the season what does he do a big money deal to Chelsea what has he sold his soul or do, is it going to be like Harry and the Hendersons and Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez are looking at N'Golo Kante and get like, out of here yeah, exactly but no one wants you here but they, goodbye my friend exactly and they, <laughs> they know that it's probably going to be better for him because Leicester it's going to be tough to be kind exactly mm. and so and you've got other classic characters like Danny Drinkwater Robert Hooth just family names that everyone knows and loves. Chris and Fuchs. Exactly. I mean, who would play uh, Kante in your in your film? I would like him to play him. I mean, he's got. <laughs> right. uh, he's got he can't do that. He's got so much charisma on the field. <laughs> if he brings would it, would a tenth it, of that to the screen, <laughs> yeah. Would it be like Escape to Victory, where you just have like you have like certain stars, and then the Tottenham team of that year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think no we'll just film most of it in wide shots so you can't really tell who's playing him and then we'll just film close ups on a green screen and uh, then just cut them in whenever we need them this sounds like it will work yeah I can only see this working nice nice Uh, we can call it dilly ding dilly dong get the pieces in yeah exactly so that's that's a historical event which I mean it it clearly needs that adaptation doesn't it I think we've all agreed yeah Yeah. interesting Jake choosing one from recent history I mean I wouldn't say it's a historical event that no one knows about seeing as it happened 12 months ago Uh, like maybe (laughs) maybe, uh, maybe like 5 months ago yeah 
interesting choice all the yeah, same. Yeah, it's interesting. Harry Chapman. So recently there's been a lot of disruption around the, the Freddie Mercury film. Yes. Have we all heard this? Yes. yes. Uh, the guy the, from Mr. Robot yeah, is he's, now... Yeah, he's due to be in it. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reason uh, Sasha Barra Cohen didn't want to do it was yeah. because apparently the rest of the Queen members said like halfway through the film Freddie dies and then it's how Queen is rebuilt during that I just want to see that I just want to see post Freddie okay. the, the Queen story how they how they get back to doing New Year's Eve 2015 <laughs> we, we all remember that don't we yeah I we all watched that, it yeah. we all watched um, it Adam someone from American the, Idol, Idol. <laughs> yeah I Adam mean, Levine no maybe, no but obviously it's the Queen frontman we know and love. I, I just think I just think it would be funny if they produced it themselves. And like, acted in it themselves. Yeah, and acted in it themselves. <laughs> like dyed their hair, Brian May dyeing his hair. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's a film no I can only see, see that being yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were um, against the Sasha Baron Cohen biopic because it was going to be too adult. Oh. And go a bit, a bit too R-rated, and they're like, no, 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 we want to keep it clean. We want it to be a family film. Mm, they, there's no drama there. Exactly. Like yeah. That. We like biopics because they actually give us some conflict about yeah. these people. And the point is that they're yeah. flawed characters having yeah, a biopic. Yeah. yeah, we don't want happy. Yeah. Good times. It's going to be directed by Brian Singer. We will see. We'll see. Uh, my choice would be um, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, who I remember from GCSE history. And this was during uh, the Cold War and the Red Scare in America. There are these this, this couple who sold the, played a small part in selling secrets to the Soviets about um, the A-bomb. But they played a very minor part. But they were the ones that were caught for it and publicly executed. Wow. Um, but it was a huge media storm, loads of people protesting it. And I think it kind of marked a change in America during the Cold War where the people finally realised how this was absolutely insane part of their history um, what, what grade did you get? I believe I got a B nice, thank you, thank you. good, good. Um, you still remember it so yeah. le- learning's learning but no I think this uh, is an untapped piece of history uh, that could be really interesting to do a film yeah. nice. I think that could be like uh, definitely down the Bridge of Spies yeah, feel, which I actually really want to rewatch. I really enjoyed Bridge of Spies I haven't seen it mate, come on Steven Spielberg's best film. (laughs) (laughs) Back back to the task at hand. So this is what we were discussing at United Kingdom. But before we get into it, Jake, you interviewed director Amarasanti a few weeks ago, didn't you? I did. So this was just on the eve of a United Kingdom opening the London Film Festival. And I spoke to her about the film, uh, her previous film, Belle, and uh, being a female director in the film industry today and how that's changed in sort of 15 years of her career as well and also how stylish David Yellowo is so lots of important points <laughs> and then one that's maybe even more important <laughs> Alright so here's that interview this is Jake Cunningham interviewing Amara Santi So we are delighted to welcome Amara Santi director of A United Kingdom onto the Curzon podcast this week How are you doing today? Hi I'm good thank you how are you? I'm very well good. thank you um, So uh, United Kingdom uh, I'd like to begin by asking you about the women at the centre of the uh, the racial conflict that we see uh, in the United Kingdom and your previous film, Belle. Mm. Um, one's upper class, uh, the other a typist, neither a stereotypical radical. What was it that drew you to these characters? I mean, the woman's voice in cinema, in stories, both emotionally and um, her literal vocal voice, are very important for me. And I think oftentimes when we're dealing, dealing with stories that are about race... 
it's really easy to negate class. And what's really interesting about Lady Canning, who I guess is one of the women that you're talking about, the upper class woman, um, who is the, the wife of an empire mogul, can I call him? Um, we forget that actually, though uh, uh, Rosamund Pike's character, Ruth, her interaction is mainly with this woman in Africa, in England, they wouldn't have really mixed. In London, they would have been of different classes. Um, they wouldn't have intermingled, there would have been a class issue between them. And so I wanted to, without banging anybody on the head with a kind of hammer about it, sort of really subtly dance around the class issues as well as issues of race in this story. Um, and, and generally, I've, I, you know, there are, there are the two white women that you're talking about, but there, there's also the, the black female perspective as well in the story, which comes from the African women who are responding to Rosamund Pike's character coming in and you know, expecting to become their queen. And so it was making sure that all all sides, all facets of, um, of, of female reaction are kind of covered in the, in the story, really, whilst politics at the time was really a man's domain. Mm. You know? And I think you play with that expectation of what we're, we're coming to see throughout the United Kingdom. When we find out he's a king, we kind of expect a, a very regal residence when we go over there yes. and we find something completely different with a tin roof. Yes, absolutely. Which was the real house that Ruth and Soretze lived in when um, Soretze took Ruth to Africa to be his queen. Um, we put that house lovingly back together. But the interesting thing was that it was considered absolutely and completely um, um, a luxurious house at the time because when you look at how everybody else is living, um, and it's not terrible, it's not bad, but you know, the, the traditional house to live in at the time was a rondevelle, um, which is a, you know, a, a village sort of, it's a round hut that they live in. And this house is a sort of palace compared to that. But we wanted to stay true to that. Truth is, when they arrived, they didn't have running water. Um, there were all sorts of, there's a whole world that she had to get used to, you know, in many ways that is not the same as living in Blackheath in mm -hmm. London. And uh, at the centre of both films, the uh, United Kingdom and Bell, is a, a love story. And you use that to access the political story. Do you, is that something that you just find for audiences, what makes accessing the political side of the story a bit more easy by centering it around the love story in the first place? Well, I'm, I am a massive romantic. Um, that, that's the truth. Um, and, and as a filmmaker and as a viewer as well, an audience member, there are... You know, I am sort of multifaceted. I, I'm, I'm really interested in politics, but I'm also really moved by deep love stories. Whenever I think about loss and death, the thing that um, always strikes me most is how it feels for a couple who have been together for 50 years, 60 years. It's maybe one thing to lose a father, but when you, you think about those people who married during the war and stayed together for 50 or 60 years, know no other life really other than that with their partner and then suddenly one dies. And so I'm, I'm, I'm naturally drawn to um, um, romantic relationships and the nature of that and what allows them to sustain and, and how, um, how strong they, they can be, how far you can pull them before, mm. before they have to have to pop, if yeah. that makes sense. I'm interested in that. But I'm also interested in politics, and I think ultimately um, <laughs> politics affects love in some ways. It shouldn't. We don't want it to, but the two can sometimes get in the way of each other. As you saw with Bell, he had to make, okay, a legal decision, which would also have political implications, um, 
but his love for her um, leaves us with the question, was he that man in the first place and that's why he took in a child that was racially different to him or did his love for that child make him into the person he became who made the decision that he ended up making um, on behalf of slaves and for the protection of slaves so I find that fascinating and the, what you get with the love story you see is the intimate and what you get with the political story is the, the world and the, the big fat wider world and I love the two together I love bouncing between those two things. And you can reflect the outside world within that relationship absolutely, as well, which you can absolutely. clearly see throughout. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very, it's, um, it's, it allows me to really get under the skin of how big world politics affects us as individuals. You know, and in, in my in my first film, it wasn't a love story, but it was looking at how big world politics affects, you know, white kids in live growing up in, in um, South Wales who have been excluded from society. They are they are underclass children who are not allowed to partake in mainstream society. And through their individual small relationships, you see how bigger politics um, can affect the individual. So the, the nation, the individual, the politics versus the individual, I'm always fascinated with that. Excellent. And um, going back to your first film, A Way of Life, it mm. came out 12 years ago now. Yeah. I was wondering how the landscape for yourself as a female director has changed in that time. Well, it didn't feel to me as if anybody was talking about it back then. But that might have just that might be my perception as opposed to reality. And um, I think for me, what's made a big difference is social media and the fact that um, social media can galvanise opinions. I can have a conversation with a woman in Atlanta over the issue of um, you know uh, diversity within business, or or be talking to another film director about it. You know, in China, for instance. And so, social media has has galvanised, and what gal galvanising does is motivate as well in some ways and agitates in a great way. So I think that that, that its very existence has made my journey at slightly easier um slightly easier um it 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 wasn't something i could really concentrate too much on at the time because if you thought about the obstacles you thought about the statistics you thought about the numbers you just wouldn't get out of bed in the morning it was just all too big and too difficult and all i really wanted to do again the bigger politics the bigger structure that you exist in and the, and the intimate story here was that I just wanted to tell my stories. I just, I just had stories that I wanted to get out of me and put down on paper and then hopefully one day put up on screen. And so one just puts one foot in front of the other every day and, and carries on writing and plows away. And in the meantime, things have changed, and that's great. David Ayelowo, who plays Suretse Karma in the film, he said that he was, felt pushed out of the UK because of the glass ceiling, and it was only after his career picked up in America that he was offered roles in UK films. Mm -hmm. What do you think needs to change for black people starting off in the film industry in the UK to feel more at home? Well, first of all, I think it has to start with the stories and the financiers, the people who are commissioning and allowing those stories to be told. Um, in the sense that we've become very, very, very used to a default existence on screen. We've been told that for years that what films are are stories about a particular kind of person in a particular kind of age group and a particular gender and that's for all of us that's for black people white people women and men we've all come to be, to see that as the what a what a normal film is in many ways and whenever we see anything outside of that 
it um, may throw you slightly or is that a real film or is it a bit art house or you know we have all sorts of words and language for anything that comes out of the default experience and you have to think about this if all films if most 90% of films that you saw on screen were about black females born in Stretton it would be weird and if they were all made by black females also born in Streatham, it would be weird. And yet in a weird way, we sort of have our own, of course I'm being facetious, but we have our weird, our own weird version of this going on at the moment. And so first of all, we have to learn to see diversity as not, not a word, you know, films that, that fit within that remit as, as, as normal. It's okay. They're also default. My experience is as default as yours is. Um, that's the first thing. And my gaze is as, as default as yours is. We're the same but different, and that's what's interesting for audiences. So I'm not, I'm not at all advocating to get rid of the default experience that we've seen on screen, but to add other experiences to that as well. And then the second thing is that we have to learn to, um, not when we do have them, not see them as different and uncomfortable. Once we get to that point, then... Characters can be written for people like David to play and Idris to play as Idris does, you know, brilliantly and David does brilliantly and for Chiwetel to play and all and, and for all the female, wonderful female actresses of colour that we have to play. And will not it will not be seen as different, art house, ethnic, diverse, you know, all of those weird names that we have to give it because if they're anything outside of the default experience they have a they have a funny thing attached to them mm. they have a funny label attached to them i think that's the key and i think we're not there yet in britain um you know i think it's something that critics have to look at it's something that financiers have to look at it's something that um we as writers have to take you know be wary of all of the time um to ensure that um we understand that the world is 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 bigger than the default experience Mm. And and make other experiences the default experience. Now there's a there's a line in the film. I think it's between Sorezzo and his uncle. He says that they have had to stay apart to stay at peace. Yes. Uh, do you think ultimately, if people are to come together, whether that's in what we call a default film experience or anything really, that there will always be conflict before that point? Well, I think that, that when that line comes, it's part of Soretze's journey. It's, it's the point where Soretze is, uh, hasn't, you know, what I like to do is ensure that who the character is at the beginning is not necessarily who they are at the end, but that you have a footprint of who they're going mm. to be. So you see you get the line at the very beginning of the film when he's talking to Ruth. He says, um, um, still, we, 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 we need to do more in terms of their country um, to be masters of our own fate. And he then repeats that later on, and it's in a whole, whole different context, and he's talking to his people. And that's the completion of his journey at that point, for our film's sake. And I think at the point where he says we need to stay apart at peace, he's in the middle of that journey, and he's still learning. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way. You know, he's... What I'm constantly dealing with in characters is conditioning versus instinct. I think for me, our character of Soretze's instinct is about togetherness, but his conditioning has been about separation. Um, and that, and he, is, he was born into a country which didn't necessarily have apartheid, but the rules for whites were different to those for blacks. And so there's, to me, that's part of a learning process, a learning curve that is interesting to me to put characters through so that by the time he comes to the end of the film, it's not about being apart, it's about being together in many ways. Excellent. Well, I think we'll go slightly less serious now. Yes. And I wanted to ask you, 
about David Yellow wearing a hat. It's, yes. He wears a hat incredibly well. He wears a hat incredibly well, <laughs> and I have to tell you that my favourite hat was his grey hat. He wore his black hat a lot, and he had a brown hat too. But I always said, David, you're most dashing to me when you're in your grey hat. So he had his grey hat in London quite often, mm. and he does wear it well. I mean, David's a fashion horse. You must know that. <laughs> he does look incredible throughout the film. Yes, he does. And I, I remember saying to my husband, darling, three-piece suits. This is the new thing. We're going to have to get you into some three-piece here. Because it looks amazing. It makes every man look fantastic. Excellent. Well, Amara Santo, thanks a lot for joining Thank us on the Curzon so Podcast. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank Bye-bye. you. Okay. Amara Santo there. Uh, so you talked there about how there's kind of this thing about the film being a romance film and using the romance to tell the story of a race film. Yeah. Which is interesting because I remember I went to the press conference of this after it screened in the London Film Festival and someone asked a similar question to Rosamund Pike and she responded with something along the lines of it's a romance film but because people are so hung up on race it's being sold in the same vein as 12 Years a Slave and films like that. So she kind of hinted that it's the racial implications are overshadowing the fact that at its heart this is a very this is a love story. So, what do you guys think of this? Do you see it as a race film or as a romance film? Obviously, it can be I th- both. But I think she she's almost talking like that's that's what the end goal is. Like in mm-hmm. the in the in our best selves, that's what we should see it as. Yes, like we yeah. should we should just be seeing this as a romance. But because of the society we live in now, mm-hmm. there is no other way of seeing it but as also a race film mm. as well. Yeah, it's still so relevant today, isn't it? It's shocking how relevant that, you know, with things like alt-right being in the news recently yeah. and, you know, th- things like that, it's, it still feels so pertinent when you watch it. Yeah, and the kind of governmental dealings all feel yeah. that they, it's very under the table and it does make you worry about what's going on now. Yeah, all, all I would say about the, the, the government side of the film is I think Amara Santi is incredibly even-handed with it. Mm. So you have in the film, you have you have Clement Attlee not, not going against yeah. it, but then you also have Churchill going against his word and it's really even-handed that it goes from both sides of the aisle. Yeah, it's definitely. not just it's not just attacking the right. Tories yeah. evil, Labour yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. Could have easily all, done that. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a historical film, but I think the way they present it, you're right. Yeah. It's, they're all in it for themselves in a way, and they're yeah. not really thinking about it yeah. in terms of the, as the couple. They're thinking of it as a national scandal. Yeah, I think in terms in terms of the story, um, I I actually think that it's been marketed as a romance film mm. or romantic film. But in fact, when you watch it, it's a lot more political. It's a, it's a very much a political film. It, yeah. get, it gets through the romance bit really quickly, mm. and then you get into this sort of politics. And I think that's that's something clever that she does, and she did that on Belle yeah. as well. Yeah. And you use the romance to get people in. Yes. And you get them engaged, and it's it makes the story accessible. Um, and then that's where you can very gradually feed them into the bigger picture. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, so people don't really realise they're watching a political film. They think they're just watching a romance film. Yeah, definitely. So maybe we should just give a bit more context to the actual story. Ruth Williams meets Retsi Karma in London. Uh, they start courting. And eventually she realises that he is the prince of Beshwana land, which is now called Botswana. And the rom- romance blooms from there. But obviously it's 
not the 1950s? 40s. 40s. 40s when it starts. Okay, 1940s. So there is still a large amount of prejudice against an interracial couple from both sides, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not just angry white yeah. people. You, there's also tension back home. Yeah. Due well, to the fact that and he's even, a royal. even within the black community in London, yeah, um, that there's a particular sh- um, moment which was really lovely of um, Ruth and Sorette playing snooker. And okay. she just she pots something the black to win. Yeah, and you just see, and she like screams because she's yeah. happy or something, and you can just see the whole Sorette's club that they're in yeah. just glaring at her as well. Um, but I really think that that's that was something clever throughout that film of the the contrast between what who can be racist really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not just it's not just you know it's not like. She gets there, and the country accepts. The country her is in and, love and with her, and it's yeah. just white Britain that rejects Definitely. her. Definitely, so I think it's really yeah. handed. Mm. And I like how hard life is for her over there, and they really they push that. I think quite a lot. Mm. Yeah, rightly so. That it's it's not this easy transition that she just goes over there and it's okay because she's with the man she loves. It's really horrible. Yeah, that she's treated really uh, unkindly, and then when she has the child, it's quite a distressing few scenes there. Um, and I thought she acted amazingly. Yeah, in I, those I, scenes. I think, I think she really gets across what it's like having probably never been abroad. Yeah. In in, in the forties, to then, to then suddenly being dropped in this desert, hot land. And in the forties, a working class girl from London will have no idea yeah. what Beshwana land exactly, is yeah. like. Exactly. And Rosamund Pike said on a uh, an, an another film podcast. Uh, <laughs> there, are, <laughs> there, there, there are others. I know there are other ones. Um, she said on another one that um, her going over there, she w- w- suddenly knew that she was royalty. But um, being from 1940s Britain, the only image of royalty she had was from her own yeah. queen yeah. and Princess Margaret. And so she went over there and dressed. As she had known royalty yeah. to dress, and this is like forty-five degrees, fifty yeah. degrees, <laughs> and she's there in white gloves and stockings, yeah, just because that's the only image she has. There's a lovely scene where she looks at a photograph of the Queen, and she tries to do her wave. Yes, and then she tries yeah. to do it later on, and like clearly looks around and is like, <laughs> "I look ridiculous." That, that, <laughs> like no one wants to see that. <laughs> so we talked a bit there about Rosamund Pike, but for me, this is uh, David Oyelowo's film and I think he has really marked himself as one of the best British actors at the moment yeah yeah. he's really great absolutely astounding I mean um, from Selma he was robbed not uh, not even nominated for an Oscar and then to just push through and I think he's really become the forefront of the black British actor Um, and this is a perfect film to showcase that I think yeah yeah, and it's interesting. We we mentioned about him um, not getting work in the UK until yeah. he got work in America, and we always think as of America as this divided, like highly um, exaggerated platform for racial conflict, mm. and now that just makes us makes me feel even worse yeah. for us if we're not willing to give people work. Exactly. Well, I think a lot of black British actors like Idris Elba had to get his start in America when he was on The Wire. Mm. I think it yeah. happens quite a lot. Though. Yeah, it does. They have to go over there the, and then come back. Yeah, roles for black English yeah. actors are probably uh, they're quite slim. And yeah. so uh, Yellow is taking it upon himself to kind of talk about that, which I think is really good. Yeah. It would it would also be I feel like now he's set up a platform that hopefully 
David yeah. Ellawa can do films that aren't just about race necessarily because yes. they're sort of big big topics but it was nice for him to be in a big budget film mm. that just had him as the main character and mm. maybe didn't mention race yeah absolutely being, sort of going back to Rosamund Pike's yeah that's the point I want to get to yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely um, another really interesting point I got from the press conference that I went to was that uh, someone asked how did the because they filmed on location in Botswana okay and um someone asked how did the Botswana locals feel about English people making this film and Amara Santi said well they were she says she's not sure exactly but she knows that they were pleased that it was being made by a black woman do you think that's important for the narrative of the film to know that it's made by a black woman you know I don't know I think it's I don't know how important it is for the narrative of the film but I think it's important for the film Mm -hmm. I think it's important that black stories being told by black directors yes um well we've got we've got fences coming up fences soon looks, with denzel yeah. washington which moonlight was, as well yeah yeah really excited for those two yeah, yeah. I, th- I think ultimately amara santi is a really great director yeah and i think because she's so good at making stories where you think you're watching one thing and actually you're watching another yeah i think that's why it was important that she directed it i'm not sure her her race necessarily yes affects affects the the making of the film yeah but I think if you if you just said that the people of Botswana said that that they felt that that was important whether then that gives her um, more accessibility oh yeah to like well the people and the location I think maybe yeah could be the case and that allows her and the crew to get more personal yeah and, and create a more intimate film if they have that relationship with the area that they're filming yeah. in. Because I think there is, on one hand, this is a film about race, but there's also a film about empire as well. We haven't really talked about that yeah, much. Very much so. Um, very much so. And this, yeah, I, I, I got the uh, the journalist to ask, I can't remember who it was, what publication they were from, but it was something I hadn't really thought about this idea of a pre- probably a predominantly white production, English going into Africa to make this film that is equally a story of Botswana and a story of England. Um, but no, I think they got around that very well um, from what she said. Um, yeah, I think Empire is so, just, just yeah. quickly, I think Empire is so crucial to this whole film. And there's a line, I think it might be the first line, or it's very close to the beginning, where Nicholas Lindhurst, who plays the dad... Uh, on the radio it says about India's independence and he yeah. says good luck getting on without us <laughs> um, and I think instantly you you know where you are you know that the British Empire is sort of crumbling at this point mm. and, sort of, and sort of reducing this is the side. end this is the yeah. end and it's interesting that the film is basically about trying to keep hold of certain parts of the empire and keep yeah. relationships yeah. with the Commonwealth well I think you see that with um, Jack Davenport's character was, in, his, yeah. in his hat when he turns up Yes, Botswana with the this old style empire, oh, yes, like a yes, giant yes, cockatiel yeah. on his head. Yeah. yeah, he. I was going to talk just then about the supporting actors and supporting characters, and I think Jack Davenport. He does what Jack Davenport's done a few times before, just which a weasel, is smarmy yeah. English villain, very old fashioned. He does it so well. Yeah, but um, I, th- I think he tones it down from what he did in parts of the Caribbean, for example, because mm. he, he felt like a real person. Yeah. Yes, he felt like. He following was following orders. Following orders, exactly. 
uh, and he I felt like he was a typical sort of politician of the time when he was trying to sell something to uh, Ruth and Soretsi rather than just completely screw them over. Which oh is yeah, I doing. think that's true. He very much feels like a smarmy car salesman. Yeah, definitely. He's like, no, guys, this is the best. This is the best deal I can get you. Don't worry, I'm going to sort everything out for you. Yeah, it's, and it, it's in, it's interesting. I still think his character is so relevant today in terms of what goes on behind the officials yes. that are elected. Like there are people that are sort of put in these positions and still given these sort of roles. Um, you know, in the news recently, there's been whether the UK are going to have an ambassador to, to the, the US. US. Yeah. And that's been really in the news. And actually this whole, should we vote for things, should we not, the democracy of things. Yeah. And and the fact he's, he's a sir as well mm. is so crucial to that kind of old empire feeling around the whole thing. Absolutely. And who's got Tom Felton in it? Is it Fenton or Felton? Felton. 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 Fenton. Fenton. And uh, who was in Bell as well. Yeah, he... he he, he's, I think he's a lovely little actor. I think it's a very different role for him from, from Harry Potter, from Jake, Draco Malfoy. And I think, it, it, because it kind of has that evilness of Draco, but there's a, it's a lot more grown up and it's a lot more... I think he, he has a lot more control over the character mm. and all his lines as because of the character, and this is the same in Belle, I think. He, he has a lot more control over his lines and... What he calculates everything, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I think you, you see way. at the end of the Harry Potter films how Draco is really not himself. Yeah. Anyway, like that persona, it, yeah. it really uh, shaves away as you go through those yes. films. And I think these characters are proving that that conflicted Draco that we saw hints of in those later films uh, has actually benefited. Him. Yeah. Also, he has lovely dark hair now. Yeah, and cool glasses. Yeah, and he was in, and he got to say the damn dirty ape line. <laughs> he did. Planet of the he Apes. Did. Yes. <laughs> and he delivered it with gusto. <laughs> Before I went to see this film, for me there was a slight worry it would be a bit twee. Yeah. Very sort of um, English. That kind of BBC esque daytime TV kind of feel to it. Oh, I don't know about uh, daytime TV. I uh, feel like like maybe like a Sunday, Sunday night, Sunday night eight o'clock drama, Christmas six o'clock. Yeah, yeah. And they do a beat. They do a Christmas special. Yeah. And I, I, I thought, okay, it's maybe it's going to be a bit like this, a bit like that. But it really isn't. No, it's, it's not and it surprised me big time with how how real it felt and how interesting the characters were and how invested I was in it. I think I think the quality of the story makes such a big difference. Yeah. And choosing choosing to as I said before, get through the romantic storyline quite quickly. Within, yes. Within yeah. the first sort of 20 minutes, it's yeah. set up that they're together. Yeah. And oh, then, I love that. Yeah. And then, and, you know, we talked about Pace last week with Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, and I think this gets its pace really right because it, it gets through the romance and then suddenly you're into the political implications of everything yeah. they're doing. Yeah. And it's a couple... Against against an empire, essentially. Mm. Yeah, and you you'd see other things like this where they're split up, and then someone catches his eye when he's away. Yeah. yeah. And, but the the chemistry between them, and because she, she dedicates that first half hour to really building up that relationship, absolutely, and it feels so real. Yeah. Um. Such, that you've such, got complete hope in them the whole yeah. time. They're such rounded characters, I think, and I think you know, there's there's a lovely line where. Rosamund Pike's character says, "Oh, you only married me for my looks," and they laugh about it. 
but really like clearly they there's so much more to their romance mm. than just looks and physical attraction yeah and that is crucial for the rest of the film and them staying strong and staying together yeah. and staying as a family and i really enjoyed that she's never built up to be a big anarchist or anything but she's, she's not, not a, a big fighter of ro- yeah. civil rights or anything she's just and she's not a rebel she's just a girl yeah working class girl from east london fell in love yeah, yeah. But I, d- I think her character does develop slightly. Oh yeah, yeah. and that and that, I think that's lovely that yeah. they they don't overdo that. Yeah. They do it a little bit at a time, and it feels realistic. Yeah. And you know, because this film is set over a number of years by the end, mm. so it's it's interesting that her character is slowly built up into mm. this into this working class girl that's dropped into this world she has no, knows nothing about. And that's not just that's not just Africa. That's also the political world she's dropped into. She yeah. d- she doesn't have a clue about that. Mm. And it's always nice to see a film of people defying empire. I think in this day and age, yeah. it's nice to see it that 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 these things that still did happen. Um, any final points to add, gentlemen? Um, oh, David Yellowo wearing hats. Mentioned yep. it in the interview, <laughs> but man, he can wear a hat. That man can pull off a hat. I uh, <laughs> away from his hat. Um, I just want to say about his speeches. Yes, his speeches in yeah. this film are incredible, and I think I think he's su- that's such a talent to do that mm. on film and to give these big speeches, and they feel like you're watching him laugh. Yeah, it, uh, it's he, a, it's amazing. He's such a good. He's he's so good at vocalizing himself. Yeah. and physically feeling like he's there. I think he's a great orator. Yeah, and he's yeah. and he did that, he did that in Selma, but he's also yeah. doing it in real life as well. Uh, being mm. the forefront of this, the black British actor yeah. thing, uh, I think he's a really good public speaker, very charismatic, very charming, but not in a manipulative way. Yeah, yeah. he feels very his, genuine. His um, vocal manipulation is amazing yeah. as well. Uh, he can, like, you forget his real voice. Yeah, yes. Yeah, uh, when when I heard him on the radio recently, I mean, his voice is lovely. Yeah, it's velvety. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, but I'd com- almost completely forgotten yeah. that's what his real voice he is. He did the audiobook for the new James Bond, didn't he? Oh, I bet that's lovely. lovely. If Barbara Broccoli's listening, <laughs> David Oyelowo. Yes. I maybe. Down with that. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you listen to his voice. That is a Bondian voice. I ju- I'd just like to give a quick credit to Rosamund Pike as well. She does a very good sort of pl- slightly plummy working class yes. voice. Mm. Without it and being I, comical. Yeah. She's not Eliza Doolittle. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that that's more difficult than we probably give it credit yeah. for. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, also nice to see Nicholas Lindhurst again. Yeah, great. With his <laughs> tiny little moustache. <laughs> I haven't seen him for years. Um, <laughs> he, he hasn't aced a bit. No. It's one of those films though. Whenever a film, this uh, English production every now and then you go oh it's that guy from um, The Thing like, there's a, there's quite a, <laughs> but there's quite a few of them just pl- dropped in here scattered yeah. around like oh him yeah I think I think he, he's great because he he I think is the one that still sadly challenge will probably challenge some audience members of what they think yes and, and I, I think I think it's too easy to think that because it's set in the 40s we've moved away from this I still think there are people that are going to go Definitely. into this film and have issues with with their relationship. And while that's horrible to say, hope I think Nicholas Lindhurst's character is the one that they will, they might recognise and relate to, and hopefully they go on the same journey he mm-hmm. does. Because this this film is still so important for changing people's views. Definitely. 
Also, my friend James was an extra in this film. So, uh, hi James. That's a little bit of trivia for you. Well done, James. <laughs> um, also, I just wanted to say quickly, um, Tony Benn's in this film, and I think the guy playing him is exceptional, and and that character works really nice as sort of being the intermediary between mm. between sort of politics and, and and the couple. Tony Benn biopic, Harry. He's a. Uh, yeah, we could do that because he's already he's already got a film. Uh, we about could his do life. that. We could do that. We like you say we like <laughs> me, you, Sam. We'll just get together, make I've, Tony. I've ben. already got the money together. <laughs> Our queen of producing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. So uh, United Kingdom is released uh, today, uh, but also out today. We just want to make a quick mention to Patterson. Um, that's the new Adam Driver film about uh, a bus driver poet and. Um, if you're around in Canterbury or Soho, both of the Curzons in those areas are holding poetry slams this evening to celebrate the release of Patterson, so do check those out if yeah, you're in the area. Yeah, if you are listening to the show today, as yeah. in Friday. If you listen to this on Sunday, you'll need a time, time machine to go back. Still going to see it. Still, still definitely going to see it, but yeah. Um, okay, and that's it for this week. Um, so, if you enjoyed United Kingdom on Curzon Home Center at the moment, we have the new Black Film Collective's curated collection, and that includes classics such as Jackie Brown, 12 Years a Slave, and one of uh, the best films of the last few years, in my opinion, Fruitvale Station. Uh, really impressive film by the director of Creed about Oscar Grant III, who was uh, killed un- absolutely undeservedly by policemen. Uh, really heartbreaking film, but highly recommend that. So that's on Curzon Home Cinema at the moment. And, as usual, a big thank you to CSR for letting us use their shiny studio once again. So that's goodbye from Harry. Goodbye. Goodbye from Jake. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. See you next week. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 